Welcome, everyone, to Davos Fingers, episode 144. New friends, new enemies. This is Scatty, and with me, as always, is my buddy, Matt. Hey, everybody. This episode is going to cover The Name of the Wind, uh, chapters 33, which is called A Sea of Stars, through Sympathy in Mains, chapter 38. You know, this is an episode where Quoth puts himself out there to uh, finally gain that education and knowledge he's been wanting to uh, gain regarding the Chandrian. But, you know, is he too impatient, a little too arrogant to let his real talents show through? We'll find out. Yeah, you might argue that arrogance is one of his talents. Kind of gets him, gets him through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, um, a Patreon update. want to just remind everyone we did release uh, a Patreon episode uh, earlier this month. It was at the very beginning of the month. It was a lot of fun. It was our uh, Game of Thrones, we should start back coverage, which is, it covers basically the first hundred pages, um, the first uh, 10 or so chapters, I believe it was, of Game of Thrones. Matt and I got together and we talked uh, about how the series has changed for us, things that we've noticed a little, a little differently this time through. You know, it's been nine, almost nine years since we covered uh, that material uh, in August of 2014. Um, so it was a lot of fun to kind of go back and, and uh, revisit some of that. Feels like the first time. Yeah. I think it's a good one. It was good. It was so it's... much fun to sit and cover that stuff again. Uh, we hope you'll yes. check it out. If you've missed our Song of Ice and Fire coverage, Head on over to Patreon, check it out, see if it's for you. And yeah. we hope you you can get that episode and listen to it and enjoy it like we enjoyed making it. We can't wait to do more. Yeah, it, it felt very much like coming home a little bit, I think. You know, we love King Killer, but uh, you know, those those early chapters, that's where we cut our teeth. It was fun. Yeah. It's good to get back to it. It's good to get back with some of those characters again. Absolutely. I uh, want to throw out uh, some recommendations here, too, with the uh, Star Wars Legends Lounge podcast. Uh, Matt and I are both guests. Matt, you, you just uh, guested a couple, a few weeks ago. Your episode came out with Aaron. You've got a few yeah. coming. Uh, I am recording. Well, I'm, I will have recorded like a few days before this episode actually releases. Uh, but I'm recording a few days with Aaron on my first episode um and it will probably release right around when this episode does release so uh check out the star wars legends on pod legends lounge podcast it's uh it's a lot of fun aaron does a great job of keeping the episodes compact and and uh, and tight and good and uh i've really enjoyed listening to them um we're in the middle of a i think it's a 19 book series that we're all kind of reading together and and guesting on his his podcast to cover the material it's it's a lot of fun it is, yeah. For those that haven't heard of it before, Aaron covers the books in the Star Wars Expanded Universe, now referred to as Star Wars Legends books since the Disney purchase. So uh, he goes through and covers a book per episode, and it's one of my favorite podcasts. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to most of Aaron's episodes. They're very good. Right now, like Scad said, we're reading The New Jedi Order, which was a huge undertaking, 19 books uh, that take place 
some 20 25 years 35 years after um the the star wars films um after like a new hope and those ones so yeah we've got some great guests on there scad myself um justin and cat from the animated antics podcast they have episodes k2 who did our Um, cakes for salamanas And there's others coming, but I don't think we should be the ones to spoil who those people are. So I won't. I think those are the think, only ones that have guessed it so I think, far. I think I'm the last one, actually. Is it? And then it's going to start repeating back through. Yeah. Oh, okay. But anyway. Yeah, so more. come join us. If you have uh, even a passing interest in Star Wars, come listen to those. They're a lot of fun. That book series is uh, is good. I have been a straggler on reading any of the Legends books, but uh, I'm really enjoying my my way through on what I guess six books, almost six books in, which is it's a lot, Matt. This is more than I've ever read in my life. <laughs> Luckily, a lot. lot of those books are pretty short uh, compared to yeah. like A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, yeah, 300, 330, 350 pages usually. Yeah, they're pretty good, all by different authors. Now they have authors that come in and write two books at a time or something like that. Right. And uh, it's kind of an Avengers endgame um type moment for star wars legends books they bring back a lot of old characters and old storylines and weave them into the story and everything it's it's a lot of fun it's a good payoff for i think it's good for people like scad that have never really dove into legends before and it's also good for seasoned veterans of the legends books like myself to see some of those callbacks they make and stuff so um good stuff yeah, I'm saying a lot of stuff this episode. I need stuff, to... yeah, stuff. Come on, man, stuff wake everywhere. up! I'm doing this for nine years. <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to just—we haven't done one of these in a while, but I wanted to just do a quick uh, content recommendation update. Oh, jeez! I know last time you were talking about uh, about the uh, the uh, Dave Matthews album that's out. Are you mm-hmm. still? It's a month later. Are you still stuck on that? You still listening I'm... to it nonstop? I'm not listening to it nonstop anymore, but pretty darn close. I yeah. still like it quite a bit. Did you did you check out that I song did. I sent you or anything? Did you yes, like it? I, f- I forgot the name of it. It Mad took me minutes to warm eyes. up to it. It's definitely different. You know, I haven't listened to a lot of Dave since you know his early stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know whether this is different than what he normally does or not, but it felt different to me. It's very uh, different. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was good. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Good. I it I didn't you know it didn't stick with me such that I listened to it nonstop for three days, but I listened to it three or four times right then, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. good. Yeah, it's not my favorite song on the album, but it's one that I thought you might like. Yeah, what was it called again? Madman's Eyes. Madman's Eyes. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? Any other recommendations? Oh gosh, I'm reading the New Jedi Order. Um. Yeah. Uh, uh, I didn't prepare myself for this like I should have. Um, 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 it's okay. I can go. Okay. <laughs> In lieu of the ums, and if I if if something ums and stuff. Goodness and gracious! Stuffs. I well, I binged a show called Physical One Hundred, uh, probably about a month ago, a little less maybe, uh, which is a South Korean show uh, where they took all sorts of different athletes and and. Uh, you know, body, different body types, essentially. And they competed in physical challenges and stuff. Really interesting show. I really enjoyed it. I binged it super fast. Uh, it's on Netflix. I really enjoyed it. Check it out hmm. if you want to. Um, 
very thorough kind of show. Uh, I'm always I'm always watching Critical Role. Uh, they're in a really interesting uh, series of episodes now. Um, so check out Critical Role if you haven't. I've recommended that a bunch of times. We are about well most of the way through the second season of Succession, which is really good. Um, you might have seen on Twitter I mentioned that I feel like the Succession characters are just the Lannisters, um, and uh, I'm standing by that so far. Uh, they're awful, and you don't want to root for them at all, but it's hard not to watch. Um, and we've just now kind of started a rewatch of The Get Down, which I'm excited about. We loved that show back when it came yeah. out. Yeah, we talked about that quite a bit. That's right. Yeah. yeah. My boy Nas is, I think, an executive producer on it. He is, stuff. yeah. I think he shows up, too, in the in a few of the episodes, maybe, as the, doesn't he? Or is it someone else that shows up as the rapper, like, if that's telling the story? In the early episodes, maybe it's somebody else. Mm. I know he does a song on it, but I don't think he like physically appears. Mm. I think you just hear the song. Uh, okay. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Or maybe it's been a few years. Yeah. Um, I binged Jury Duty. That's the last oh, show yeah. I remember binging. I watched it in one night. Just the only night I yeah. watch television is laundry night, yeah. and uh, I was able to get through all eight or nine episodes and. That one fell swoop, and it was yeah. fantastic. I loved it. It was great. It's super interesting. Yeah. And James um, Marsden is just so fun. Oh, my goodness. He's so fun. Just I've always loved it. James Marsden, but, like, just I, I love these roles where they can just kind of make fun of themselves and mm-hmm. just delve into doing it. And he it, did it. It takes a, a real kind of person, a real sort of interesting person to be able to do that to themselves, and he was great. <laughs> he did an awesome job. Uh, great payoff at the end, too. Great payoff. Um, Let's see. Uh, So I guess one thing I could recommend is watching shows you love with your kids when you feel they're old enough to watch it with them. (laughs) With the kids being out of school, they join me on laundry night and fold their own clothes. And Mm. we usually switch off between watching their favorite shows right now. So Leia's favorite is Stranger Things. We're on season four of that. Um, Luke loves Parks and Rec. So we're watching that. And then Chewy likes Modern Family. So we're watching that. So usually our laundry nights consists of we do a Stranger Things episode first. And then by the end of that, they're scared to death and they wouldn't want to go to bed anyways. So we have to watch something light. So we watch an episode of Parks and an episode of Modern Family. Nice. Uh, And it's really fun. It's really fun. That's good. I, I feel like my kids could maybe handle the first season of Stranger Things. I feel like after that, they get pretty... It gets pretty intense yeah the season four with the the bones breaking and stuff when the people yeah. die and everything i don't think that's yeah. spoiling it too much it happens in the first episode but yeah that stuff is that's pretty visceral man it's pretty visceral yeah. indeed indeed but uh you know chewy's 10 he's our youngest and he does all right with it i guess maybe <laughs> we'll see in a few years if it's affected him <laughs> yeah right right well uh the last thing i want to say before we jump into the episode is lizzie our blood rider uh, made me this. It says Mudgate Conspiracy, as you can see. Uh, thank you, Lizzie. It's amazing. It's super cozy and funny. And for those that were there and lived through Mudgate uh, at Song of Ice and Fire or Ice and Fire Con, uh, it's great. It'll be a memory I cherish forever. So long live Mudgate, allegedly. Well, like uh, I said on a previous episode, my plan is to get all of the witnesses 
<laughs> into a Zoom call, much like this one. Uh-huh. And uh, we're just going to get it all out there. We're going to get it all out there on the airwaves, get every side of the story um, and, and see what happens. On our next hangout. Our next hangout. Let's do yeah. it. Yep. All right. Well, we are spoiler free for King Killer, just like we were when, he, when we covered uh, the Song of Ice and Fire series the first time. Uh, so until the end of the podcast, we won't be spoiling anything beyond the contents of this episode. We have a segment then called Debbie After Dark. Well, we will go in and spoil things. But don't worry, we'll warn you when that's coming. Absolutely. And you know how to get in touch with us because we would love to hear from you. So that's why you should get in touch with us. You Always. can find us um, at uh, wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at Davos Fingers. Please check out our Patreon offerings and see what's uh, what's there for you. In addition to early access access to episodes just like this one, we also do monthly special episodes like We Should Start Back, our re-coverage of Game of Thrones, which is a lot of fun. And um, we have a ton of fun making those episodes, and we hope you like listening to them too. Uh, that is it. Shall we begin? Let's begin. Chapter 33, A Sea of Stars. <clears throat> Both returned to Jorba's lot, totally prepared to travel with all that one needs to do so. But most importantly, with a new cloak that will keep the rain off his back and conceal many treasures in its many hidden pockets. Rent, the guy running a wagon train, shortly has it all ready to leave, and they were on their way. Both revealed, uh, nope, not revealed, he reveled in the travel. It was in his blood to travel. The Rue were not meant to stay in the same place. And as the miles rolled on, the passengers in the wagon train were mostly unremarkable and paid little mind to Quoth. This is, of course, though, about the time when a content character is interrupted by something that makes him less content and stirs his world up a little bit. So yes, of course, there was a girl. Denna. Let us suffice to say that the two were engaged in a somewhat awkward courtship over the next several days, at least in Quoth's mind. They sat together, joked together, went for walks together, held watch together, and spent an entire night sitting on a waystone by a lake and talking. Their conversation came relatively easy, though Quoth was was constantly worried about going too far, being too bold, or touching uninvitingly. And they spent much time just looking at each other. In this summarizer's mind, Quoth fell in love in in these few days. Regardless, Denna was on the way to a city called Annalyn, and he was headed to the university, and thus... Their union was destined to end. He wanted to confess his love, to take her hand on those waystones by the lake, to brush her cheek. He wanted to do a million things, and he almost asked her to stay with him. The fear gripped his heart, as it has so many of us in moments like this, and he realized he had nothing to offer her, and that the appeal would come off as boyish and foolish. So he contented himself with the time he had with her. And that's the end of the chapter. I love this chapter. Yeah? What did you love about it, man? It's so sweet. Yes. It is every high school love song wrapped into a single chapter. Yeah. It's lovely. And and especially for someone like Quoth, who we know has really been through the ringer for the last three years. Um. It's so nice to see him get a dose of this happiness. He constantly saying things like, you know, she's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And her smell, you know, constantly talk about her, how good she smells. And he's really swept off his feet here. And it's, it's nice to see 
that someone so beaten down can still have that that joy in him it's it, it's it's beautiful to see yeah yeah it really was i had an epiphany i had a moment with uh with reading this block of chapters as to yeah. why this book works so well you've mentioned mm. it's perhaps your favorite book uh-huh. right um because they're having both has such relatable experiences mm. in between all of this you know parents being tragically murdered by demons uh yeah. stuff which maybe isn't quite so relatable for the majority of us but those nights where you're just completely swept off your feet with a girl you know with someone that's just so attractive to you um mm-hmm. we'll get to more stuff later but first day of college you know that kind of thing that's all very relatable yet it's in a completely different world like um yeah. so i don't know i you just feel that you can feel this book so well in so many of these different moments where you're just like FNA. I know that. I know what that feels like. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Been there, buddy. Been there. Yeah. We talk sometimes about, you know, with George about how he melds the fantastical, the fantasy components of his story in with the political of everyday machinations of, of power hungry people. And this is almost it's similar, but almost opposite, right? I mean, he, right. he's able to meld these magical, mystical, uh, fantastical components with very personable stories. A boy right? just growing up, oh, right? Less, less political and and um, you know, uh, family drama, and more just individually relatable tales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I loved it. Um, I kept hearing all these songs in my head of, you know, just like, like one, the one that started this all was the nearness of you. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. It's kind of a old standard, like Sinatra did it and stuff. Um, Mm. The end of the line, the closeness of her was the sweetest, sharpest thing my life had ever known. And I just heard the nearness of you Um, more recently covered by Nora Jones. And I think her version is just, just smoking hot. Um, so Scad, I'll, I'll release this with the episode, but I created a whole two Denna love quoth playlist on Spotify. Oh, nice. Just like the sappiest teenagiest love songs I could think of, of just nice. being swept off your feet by someone. This is no like space between by Dave Matthews, like deep, intimate love songs. This is just like falling Saccharine. for you by yeah, Colby yeah. Calais. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've got Matt Nathanson on here. We got David Gray. We've got Dashboard Confessional, uh, Bill Withers, Lifehouse, Dave Matthews, of course, Billy Joel, of course. Uh, Tony Bennett. Well, which Billy Joel is it? Um, she's got a way. Uh, She's got a way about her. I don't know what it is, but I know but that I, I can't live with her. She reveals me. Yep. She's got a smile that heals me. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. So you've got a playlist. Th- oh, I'm excited to hear it. You've got a playlist there from Quoth to Denna. Yeah. Do you think Denna's playlist would be similar? Does she, if, to put it in, is she feeling what he's feeling? We have, we have, we've talked about this before, but we definitely have a, you know, Quoth is telling this story. He's a unreliable narrator to some degree. Um, do you think? Do you think she feels 
what he's feeling? I think we get some hints. That's a good question. You notice she's the first one to talk to him. She starts a conversation with him. Uh, The closeness of her, that whole thing. She was, where's the pass? I don't have the passage uh, right here, but um, her face didn't look offended. It almost looked as if she was studying the lines of my face, almost as if she were waiting uh, when they're sitting out there on the the stone. Um, it, It, she wasn't, she didn't seem like she was hesitating. Go on and kiss the girl, you know, uh, <laughs> totally thought of that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then, and then later chapters, uh, you know, he was ready to walk off without her and turned around and there she was. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Yeah. So I don't want to sure. jump that conversation too soon. Uh, I don't, without being in her head, it's tough to know if she's as enchanted as he is, but I think she's interested at least. Yeah. I mean, again, again, it's his perspective, but it feels to me like the way he's describing is that she's given him all the signs. It feels that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And he's a 15 year old boy with no experience and he doesn't know how to read the signs and certainly doesn't want to, you know, be over aggressive, which, which is good. It's certainly better than, you know, then the opposite feeling too confident and being over aggressive. Um, but it feels to me like if his version of this story is real and what really happened, yeah, she's, she's all in feels like it. She's down to clown down to clown. <laughs> um, you know, I think it says something too, to she's, she's a, a woman. We get some of it in this chapter, you know, Pat describes her as a girl, but also a woman. There's a mm-hmm. part in the a movie, uh, the French uh, French Kiss with uh, oh, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein and Meg uh, Ryan. Meg Ryan, and yeah, he describes her similarly, where he's like a woman, but also a bit like a girl, and um, in kind of her youthfulness. And yeah, we get that with Dana too. Moments of kind of this austere beauty, uh, but also at times just kind of impishing and playful. Um, yeah. But but again, with the faulty narrator thing, you wonder if like, can Quoth just not see anything wrong with her? Right? Like maybe he just can't see it. Yep. And she's not really this perfect. Yep. Like he's, it's kind of stuck. Like, like she's a bit stuck in time for him and that he can't, he can't see her any other way. Which is also super relatable, right? I think all yes. of us may yeah. maybe have those people that are stuck in time. Mm-hmm. And maybe you even meet them later after the magic's worn off a little bit and you're, and you're slightly like, mm. disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> not how I remember it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm glad I had this interaction with you the second time. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, we you should kind of just stayed away. Yeah. Um, this is why I don't go to high school reunions. JK. <laughs> but really. I don't go to them. I haven't been to one. I've got my 20 year coming up uh, this summer. Mm. And yeah. I'm not incredibly interested. So we got social media for the ones I care to keep in touch with. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, I I think it's also a a bit of a testament to Quoth that, um, you know, as, as awkward as he seems to be portraying himself, you know, that, that he didn't know what he was doing. He, he does seem to have, you know, good, I don't know if he's being smooth, but like, he just answers her honestly and earnestly. And I think that goes a long way with people. Right. Right. 
where where she, she's asking you know he asks where she's going and she asks him if he knows and he's like all i can figure out is that you're going somewhere you know and it's like that's honest and it's earnest and it's kind of funny and yeah that works he's not trying too hard yeah even though he's still completely smitten he's actually trying really hard not to try hard sure right? like, yeah. like, he, like he's see that. he's like proactively trying not to try too hard right yeah yeah um i do he he makes this point i can't remember if it's in this chapter or another one about how he's like you got to remember i'd only been away from tarbine for like four days right mm-hmm. and yep. i do like seeing some of the some of those callbacks to his life in tarbine he talks about his cloak and how he loves having the private pockets within mm-hmm. the cloak i think that's a callback to tarbine that that need to protect what's yours because yeah, be, yeah. because it can be taken from you at any time. Yeah. And so truly valuing that privacy, right? Yes. Um, yeah. I like that. And, and a distrust of the world at large. He just doesn't trust anybody. Uh, and you think about what that cloak represents, something he can hide in. He talks about just how useful it is uh, on a practical level. Yes. It can be a pillow. It can keep the rain and the sun off you. Yes. It's the best thing and, you can have. Yeah, you you know, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship in this cloak, maybe. Um, you know, you think he'll he'll never be without it. We'll see. Yeah. It's also something you can hide in too. And yeah. you know, the the former saxophone player, the Dave Matthews band, who died tragically some years ago. Um, he used to wear, yeah, there's a cloak. He's got a nice cloak. There's a cloak. It's, uh, the cover of the book that I have, which is beaten to hell. It's the way it should be. It's the way it should be, I guess. It's the way it should be. Go ahead, Dave Matthews. Sorry. Uh, he used to always wear sunglasses on stage. Mm. And they said it was, he was incredibly shy. And the sunglasses, when he was in them, he felt like he could hide a little bit. Mm. And uh, you wonder if the, the cloak can kind of be that for him. He later gives himself, he said, I was comfortably ignored until we headed out of the city toward the university. And um, for a kid that suffers from a little bit of arrogance to be comfortably ignored yeah. is a significant callback to Tarbin where he could talk yes. about how he was, he could be in the middle of all these people and no one would ever notice him. And he's yeah. learned to take a little bit of comfort in that. Yes. Um, and so it's interesting to see the remnants of, this life that already to me at least feels like it was so long ago. And I have yeah. to remind myself, like he reminds us in two days, it's only been yeah. a couple of days. So <laughs> yeah, these, these tendencies are still very present. Yeah, very much so. And it, I think it was in the last, the last chapter of the last episode, he talks very much about when he talks, it's only a sentence. So not much, but he says directly, I, I, I wasn't used to being part of the crowd anymore. I was used to working against the crowd and, yeah. Having to move kind of, you know, in the opposite direction. Um, and I wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't noticed then. And now it's, it felt weird to him. It was disturbing to be a part of the crowd and be noticed. So yeah, it's a, so maybe a callback to that as well. Right. So being able to go back into himself. Yes. To withdraw a little bit. Yeah. At the same time, must be made mention that he doesn't miss Tarbine that much. 
he no. talks about as the miles what? rolled away. This is the very next line from after I was comfortably ignored. The very next sentence, as the miles rolled away, it was as if a great weight slowly fell away from me. I reveled in the feel of the ground through my shoes. A lot of times yes. we think like our toes on the ground. He's like, no, I like the way my feet felt in my shoes as they touched the ground. Taste of the air, quiet hush of wind brushing through mm-hmm. spring wheat. Found myself grinning for no good reason, save that I was happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, I don't know what to compare it to, but it's kind of like uh, you've just survived this trauma and had good fortune and good favor, and you're just relishing it. He's, even though he's got, you know, very little, like he doesn't have a lot of money, he doesn't have a lot of hope but he's not in Tarbin anymore right? and he's not fighting for his life every second. And um, yeah, you know, it took his mind waking up to get to that point. Right. But it seems like it's a little weird to look back at it. It's, it's almost like he could have done that at any point. Wow. Yeah. He could, he could have like, he could have sold the book and I mean, maybe he picked up some of these skills, you know, to, to actually make some of these things happen with getting the clothing and, you know, bathing and all these things and getting a good deal from the bookseller or whatever. But like he, he was there longer probably than he had to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. He had to wake up to get there. And now that he is woken up, he's able to go on this journey and, 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 you know, relish in the, the feet, the, the, the earth below his feet. And um, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice. Mm -hmm. And, nice. and also, you know, we talked, I talked about his mind waking up, you know, he's, he's not just on the road. He might be enjoying it. He might be loving it. He might be relishing it, but he has very much a purpose. He has a destination. And, yeah. And, and even though he's, you know, I said, I think he falls in love in this chapter. Um, sounds like with your playlist, you think so too. Absolutely. Um, but uh, he, even that, isn't enough to def- deter him from his purpose, right? He's drawn to this to the university, and you know you'd think we've seen we've seen Quoth be a little bit um, hasty with his decision making, a little bit just drawn by the moment and reactive. But running off with Denna or staying with this crew is exactly the kind of thing I I might think a Rue in general and Quoth specifically would. Yeah, Rue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. He's very much driven by this, you know, this goal that will come up, right? Right. Yep. Testament to the power of that draw, I guess. Good point. I like it. Do you have much else here for this chapter? I don't. Well, let's move on. <clears throat> Yet to learn. The next day, both wakes up to find out that they've taken on a new passenger on the wagon train, and his name is... Josen. 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 Yeah. Josen. He was slightly <laughs> older with an easy manner and an honest smile. Both hated him. He soaked up all Denna's time, flattering her and telling her jokes. So Quoth ignored them both and spent the day angry and fuming and pretending not to care. He planned to approach Denna for a walk in the evening before something flipped the evening completely on its head. Josen brought out a trooper's lute. Quoth needed to play it. His fingers ached to play it. While everyone else enjoyed the music and sang along, 
or thought dark thoughts about stealing the loot in the night and running off. He needed to play. So he does something even more unthinkable than stealing it and running off. Can I see that for a second? He asks Yosin. Yosin passes it to both with much reservation and urges him to be cautious with it. It's beautiful, Quoth says. That loot cracked away his ears in Tarbine and left Quoth almost whole again with this instrument in his hand. Then he tunes it, Matt. Then he does something worse, Matt. He plays it for like 10 minutes or maybe more just after the owner had played it and not nearly as well as Quoth is. It was transformative for Quoth. But as his fingers tired and the music fell apart, he looked up and saw everyone staring, speechless. Denna, with her head in her hands, sobbing. Quoth held out the instrument wordlessly, and Yosin took, took it back. And Quoth slinked away to be alone, to cry and fall asleep in the wagon. That is how Quoth spent his final night before the university. And Matt, I wish I had given this chapter to you. Oh, uh, that's nice. Yeah. I was I was in the middle yeah. of prepping last week, and I was like, oh, "Is it too late to switch it?" And <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to move things in the middle, but no, no, you did a good job, man. Um, I um, is is it as unthinkable as Quoth is making? I'm not a musician. You are. Is it as unthinkable as he's making it sound to tune someone else's instrument to ask to play it? Is it? everyone's different is he, is he overdoing yeah, it i thought about this i thought about this yeah it's a good question uh everyone's different for me knowing the person well it's an honor to let them play my guitars right like yeah. um our buddy chase was so nice to let me have almost exclusive access to his guitar <laughs> at ice yeah. and fire con three or yeah. four years ago and that was so sweet of him and i really appreciate that and i would return the favor in a million kind for him um but if it's someone you don't know, mm-hmm. that's that's tough. And even worse than someone asking to play your guitar and then tuning the guitar, <laughs> even worse is when they play it better than you do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're like, you son of a... Yeah. yeah. No I mean, worse feeling. Especially, you know, Yosin brings this loot out it's a little showmanshipy, right? Like he opens it up. He could have just done that all on the side and brought it out himself. Just, you know, but he like brings the case out with ceremony and like unclips it and, ha, 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 and you know, and then he, he plays Wonderwall, you know? Yeah, he plays, yeah, he plays, you know, the few songs he knows, uh, including, you know, like Tinker Tanner, the most known song around. It's this book's version of The Bear of the Maiden Fair. Exactly. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have he doesn't have the juice right he's you know he's good enough for the campfire but he doesn't have the juice when you know when the cards are all on the table right uh the this poor guy like you feel for him like his party favor brought out and ruined just oh, for sure right back in his face yep son of uh yeah yep <laughs> do you do you think do you think he is there any part of Quoth that is doing this to hurt Yosin because of how he kind of took Denna's attention? 
or is it yeah. really just about the music? I didn't think about it the first time. Yeah. I did think about it the second time. Yeah. Of this is a way that I can command her attention back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He doesn't say that in here. He doesn't. And it, maybe I wouldn't expect him to, knowing Quoth. Yeah. But I think there's a bit of it. So that so you're you're calling the unreliable narrator in here a little bit like it was about that, but I'm not, I'm just gonna say it's all about the music to make me look better. Yeah. 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 Reading between the lines it. with what he says in the rest of the chapter. On the other hand, he says, I'm not proud of the fact that I thought about stealing his loot and leaving in the dark of <laughs> the night. Yeah. In the previous yeah. chapter, he's talking about how he never wants to leave Denna ever. Yeah. Right. And music comes up and he's like, Well, maybe well, uh, maybe I could. I mean, yeah. if she wanted to come, she could, but I'm taking the loot no matter what. Yeah. And you know what, right. Scott? I feel that too. I feel that too. <laughs> Which picking music over a girl. Oh. <laughs> They're your well, greatest inspiration and your greatest uh never mind. Um yeah. Yeah, I I yeah. I think uh he he'd said there's there's actually a line in there where he says the loot was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. Almost, Except or what? almost <laughs> yeah. maybe Denna or then he's right back to the loot again. So uh, it doesn't seem super I clear. Mean, wait, I like Denna. Yeah, she's my girl. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And then and and he had even admits he's like, my father would have rated this loot no slightly better than firewood. Right. Yeah. So it's not like a super nice loot, and still he's so taken with it. Yeah. Uh, this is how badly he misses it. And you know, hearkening back to the fact that he he valued this, you know, his father's loot so much that when the strings broke. It was the only thing to drive him out of the forest mm-hmm. to go find new strings, which seemed ludicrous, right? But yeah. same thing. It's like this is it totally takes his mind over and he can't do anything else other than ask to play this loot. It's almost like he doesn't have control. Yeah, he just did it. Yeah. Because it's not the loot, right? It could be a beautiful tailor, which is a beautiful brand of guitar, or it could be uh, a Fender, which some people will balk at that. But for me, Fender acoustics are awful. I hate them. Um, it was about what the way he was able to express himself with the lute, right? And, and, and reconnecting with his past life too, right? Like yep, you mentioned, a bit you of know, that. the, the mm-hmm. Tarbine kind of, the Tarbine fell away like clay, a clay mold being broken from him or something. something. Yeah. I didn't get the language right. But um, yeah, I think the, the music reminded him of his past life and kind of almost completes that transformation of leaving Tarby behind and being, you know, remembering who he was. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Do do you, do you ever, do you ever get that when you're watching a performance like Quoth does where he can't enjoy it because he wants to play so bad? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's a pure pride thing. I totally get it. I get it with acting too. I'll be watching not, not with like usually with like professional shows. I don't get it. But like if I go to community theater shows or like I'm watching my friends, I'm like, I should be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) and it's a pure pride thing, right? I'm glad I'm total narcissism. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or we're like, we're passing around the guitar, like around a campfire or something. And I'm watching 
a friend or a family member play and I'm pretending uh-huh. to enjoy it, but deep inside I'm like, just finish the song so I can have my turn back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, hi uh, Chewy said that last night. He came and watched me play hockey. And uh-huh. I was like, Did you like watching it? The game bud? And he's like, I just wanted to be out there so bad playing yeah. dad. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you oh, could probably yeah. kick all our butts, buddy. <laughs> we are old men. Um, uh, more relatability in this chapter, Scad. Oh yeah, what do you have got? you ever found yourself being irritable and jealous while acting unconcerned? Oh yeah, I don't <laughs> care about that. I'm doing my own thing over here. Yeah, that's totally, totally been me. It's, and meanwhile, I mean, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. All you're yes. doing is shooting yourself in the foot. You are, uh, you know, and it's, it's an indication of his age. I think a little bit, I think sure. you know, we do it as adults some too, but this like obstinate, I don't care. I'll just ignore them then. Right. Is totally. Meanwhile, the minutes and the hours yeah. are ticking away, buddy. <laughs> they're, they're ticking away and they're agonizingly slow mm-hmm. while you, while you are mired in your own agony over there. Meanwhile, Yosin's shooting his shot, man. And you got to respect game. And his shot is be one of my wives. I think I just yeah, a little. His game mind. isn't great. His no. game isn't great. He's shooting it, but yeah. It's so do you like you know, you get to spend time with whoever you want to spend time with. And I don't mean to judge Denna for it, but was she do you think there was any sort of was she messing with Quoth a little bit? Get trying to get him to feel a little jealous? Or was, was she, is she just kind of like going with the flow and like, yeah, this guy's talking to me, I guess it's fine. Which could, which could just, that could just call into question everything that we've suggested that about she's her feeling. having feelings for him, where she's yeah. just like, well, someone shows interest and wants to talk to me. I'll talk back. And yeah. I'm just impish and playful by nature. And I go so, with the flow and yeah. I'm super charismatic. And so. Yeah, so I I I wonder if she's just she's just whimsical and fun and charismatic. And that that's part of what why I asked the question in the last chapter is like, is is she as into it as he is? Or is it just like he's the guy that's around and it's interesting and she's learning from him and she's owning owning her craft a little bit of being interesting and and whimsical and fun for people. And I don't know if calling him a mark is fair, but like this is kind of what what she's got to do. She's alone and young, uh, a girl alone and young in the world, and so she just clings to kind of whatever opportunities she's got. And Yosin certainly looks like a a better opportunity than Quoth does. Yeah, right. Yeah, you have to wonder because then there's the next chapter where she does. She is there. Yes. And they have a very interesting exchange. So yes. But we'll get we'll get yeah. to that. You get that feeling when you're here. Do you have much more for this one? I have a quote that I want to give before we move on, but I don't have much else. Um interesting that Dennis started to cry. Mm. Quiet, hopeless sobs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really give anything else other than that. Um yeah. she doesn't say anything. Like that was so beautiful. I was moved to tears 
and you have to wonder what's drawing out those emotions. And I wonder if that passage left you a little bit wondering like it did me, like what was going through her head that touched her like that. Yeah. The the question went through my head is, uh, is this about her or is it about something she saw in him? Right. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, clearly, you know, I don't know if I touched on it well enough in the summary, but this was a moment for him. I called it transformative. Like yeah. he, this broke and healed him kind of at the same time. And I think that was pretty clear to everybody watching that this was, this was a weird, awkward moment where it meant a lot to this kid, this 15 year old kid. And they were just witness to it. And they were witness to it. And so was it just about how moving it was for him and she could see it and it kind of made her, you know, touched her that way or did it bring something out in her? Right. That, right. You know, I, without spoiling it, I think, you know, I think we'll, we'll see a little bit that these two are kind of a little bit kindred spirits. They, she yeah. might've brought something out in her. Right. And I don't think we know yet. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that music for sure touched her in yeah. some way, whether it was revealing something about him or whether it was just so beautiful or whether it made her reflect oh. something about herself. Yeah. Maybe remember, she has I, a, a hard candy shell that she needs to crack through. Right. Maybe. Right. And does, does it say what he played? I can't even remember. No, nothing specific. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't say at all what he played. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my fingers and strings made a careful conversations of their dance described the lines of an infatuation. I played soft and slow. Intricate yep. and quick. Moved like a spider web, a gentle breath, leaf twisting as it falls to the ground. Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't sound like, I don't think he played Tinker Tanner, right? I think he played personal <laughs> stuff. Maybe he played the stuff that he invented in the woods, right? Right, yeah. Beautiful and maybe haunting and, and made her made her react. Yep. Yeah. Okay, buddy, what's your quote? Yosin simply stood. His face was stricken and bloodless as if he had been stabbed. This is right after Quill finishes playing right yep. near the end of the chapter. Like, oh, I had this whole shtick I was going to do with this loot, and I was going to maybe get Denna to fall for me with that or get free passage, and then you wrecked it. Mm-hmm. You stabbed me with my own loot. And it was the greatest thing I've ever heard, but also <laughs> I hate you. But also, fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was really great. Why don't you go you know, walk off a bridge? <laughs> and i'm gonna go look up some new songs because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not gonna happen to me again uh start working on some cat stevens or something that was for you yeah Scott. thanks i love the cat i know you do all right um, ready to go to parting of ways yeah let's do it that's me just a quick one here uh, the fact that Denna had ridden the whole day with Yosin had Quoth in a foul mood again, even as they finally arrived at his long-awaited destination, Imre. The copper jot given to him by Rowant through his wife, Retta, helped him feel a little better. But it wasn't until he gave one last turn to look for Denna before taking his leave and finding her standing behind him waiting did all his irritation melt away. 
Uh, with more than a hint of hope, she made a final pitch to Quoth to continue on with them. No? Well, if things don't work out at the university, she'll be in Anilin for quite a while, which was hundreds of miles away. Uh, no to that, too. But it wasn't an easy no for our intrepid hero. He was just about ready to give it all up to stay with her just a little longer. But no. So playfully, she said she would come look for him. Uh, so be watching for her. I will, he said. I'll see you where the roads meet. Oh. And with that, Denna ran off into the twilight. Mm-hmm. I'll see you where the roads meet. A little bit of... Um... Not all roads lead, uh, different roads lead to the same castle. Uh, Something, yeah, bit from uh, yeah. Song of Ice and Fire. There you go. See, see where the roads meet. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really a bad plan, like you're planning on just happening to, yeah, to meet when the roads meet because, yeah, yeah, it's a really cynical hope. I don't know, like, yeah, yeah, uh, a cynical hope or a very hopeful hope. Um, I'm I'm going to add another song to the playlist that I just thought of, but only oh. our Brazilian friends will get it. Okay. Because it's in Portuguese. So quero saber onde minha vida vai encostar na tua. So I just want to know when my road is finally going to cross with yours. That's oh. what the song so, says. It's exactly so, that. And it just hit me now. Sentiment. Yeah. The problem with the problem with both of those metaphors is that like you don't just stand on the road where it meets, you travel your road. And so you're time, always moving. They're always, always moving. Yeah. Th- it's just because the roads come together. doesn't mean you will. Moving anyway. targets are harder to hit. Yeah. Yes. Moving targets are. Yeah. Rickon. So what? So this is, a, I, I kind of asked it in the last section too, but do you think, do you think at all Denna is riding with Joseph is like a come fight for me, stupid. Let's see how interested he is. Or a Quoth's not such a bad guy kind of thing. She does say in this chapter that uh, she talks to Yosin about Quoth and and he'd be oh, willing. Hated that. Yeah, I bet he hated it. <laughs> but he said he'd be willing to let him teach him how to play. Like maybe she was maybe she was just talking Quoth up a little bit and being I a friend. Or again, kind of like we said, uh, just a simple girl kind of going with the flow. Uh-huh. You think there's maybe some of all of that or what, what I lo- I'd like to think that buddy the romantic in me wants to think that she's like come get me dude yeah come get me yeah feels that way a little bit mm-hmm. feels that way a little bit but also part of me is just like yeah she's just going with what however right. life comes at her yeah um, which go for know, it she girl she, yeah go she get doesn't yours, Dana. anything yeah, yeah. Totally. go get yours girl yeah um so one of the things I love about this chapter is that we, in the previous one, we just hear Quoth's inner monologue about, I can't ask her to stay with me. She'll think it's childish and foolish. And then she does the exact childish, foolish thing that he was thinking of doing. Mm. And he doesn't think about how hard it likely was for her to do that. Even yeah. in retrospect, a decade later, when he's telling this story, he doesn't think, yeah, wow, she must have been really interested in being with me more because she did this really hard thing that I couldn't even do. Yep. Right. Yep. Doesn't even, even in retrospect, he's not like, Oh yeah. Huh. Maybe she was interested then. She she liked me, man. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Been there too. Not often. A little bit. I I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, this book helps me 
well, it helps confirm for me, I suppose, that basically all humans are bad at reading the signs from other humans <laughs> and are afflicted with self-doubt, even when it's obvious. But but this it does feel obvious the way she talks to him, the way she's, you know, treating him like it feels like she's giving him a lot of the signs mm-hmm. of interest. Yep. I'll Agreed. come looking for you, dude. That's bro that's big talk. Bro watch for me. Bro don't miss it when I'm around. Like oh. all right. All right, Kvoth. Yeah. I have uh Sakansu's Mapas because there's a lot of opportunity for that. There's some Sakansu is so, crappy map mapas. <laughs> it's not a good map, but we get <laughs> You know, we get a little bit of a hint of, you know, just how big this world is, right? Um, he says it's hundreds of miles to Annalyn. And that's not a very helpful number because hundreds could mean two or it could mean four or it could mean six. Right. But I just had a little fun with a ruler on the map and measuring some things. Okay. So let's just say it's 200. Hundreds of miles. Let's just say it's two. That makes him not a liar, but it's the smallest available of it. If it's 200 miles to Anna from Emily, that means, so that, uh, on the way I measured it in my book, it's two and a half centimeters on the map. Okay. So it's 80 miles per centimeter. That's not very far. So point, <laughs> so they, they just traveled 0.6 centimeters from Tarbine to Emory. So that was 48 miles. So like 50 miles over the last few days in the cards. It's about 160 miles from Hallowfell, where they last left Abenthi, right? Yeah, okay. About 160 miles from Hallowfell to Ben. Remember, there was that conversation about uh, between Bast and 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 Quoth about I couldn't just leave. It was you know he was 100 miles away or whatever, roughly 160, right? Interesting. Interesting. And then I just measured the whole road, and it's 1168 miles from Tarbine to the Stormwall Mountains, where that road ends. Where the Scrail supposedly came from. Remember, they talk about the Scrail that they were coming over the Stormwall Mountains. Okay. Mm-hmm. Eleven hundred and sixty-eight miles. So that's uh, to put it in perspective for people that might use kilometers. That's like L.A. to Seattle, or Baltimore to Miami. Similar, very similar uh, numbers uh, for our UK folks. It's basically the UK, top to bottom and back, all the way up and all the way back. Okay. Start at the bottom, go up, then go back down. Then go back down. Yeah, Mm -hmm. top to bottom. Uh, Madrid to Munich. That helps other people in Europe. And uh, Vancouver to Regina in Canada. Similar distances. Regina. (laughs) uh, My my buddy Kyle's from Regina. Yes, he is. In Saskatchewan. Is it the Kyle I'm thinking of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. and uh, so, so basically that whole map, you know, the whole continent, if we think of it as 200 miles, which is, you know, the whole exercise is flawed, right? Because we don't know whether it's two or three or 400 miles that he's talking about. But if it's two, then we kind of have a sense of how big this world really is. And it's not, it's not that huge, right? It's, it isn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just interesting. Well, well sleuthed, buddy. Thanks. Math. Math. Rulers. Yeah. It's good sleuthing for sure. It's fun. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I'm big on maps and this map is awful. 
So any content it is awful. Yeah. Have to wonder, because that's still pretty big, but at the same time, you know, Quoth talks, you know, he spent his whole life traveling. Mm-hmm. And he even mentions, I think it's in this chapter, where he talks about how oh, I think I marked it in my book. Um how he was surprised at how much he still didn't know about the world or something like that. It was unnerving yeah, yeah. to think I wasn't as world wise as I thought. Right. Yeah. It's, it's uh, for all the traveling he's done. There's a lot of places he hasn't been. Yeah. It's something to do with money or, Oh, Oh no. Yeah. It is in this chapter. Yeah. It's when uh, he doesn't understand that Kaldish men oh, yeah. don't spend money or don't yeah. buy things. I didn't cover that in my summary at all. Wasn't Maybe it is. Because they spent a long time talking about it. (laughs) They did. I mean, I think it probably really did work out to the point you made. But probably the most important part is the realization that he doesn't really, he's not as world-wise as he thinks he is. Right. And and it is a little, kind of like we always say with George, it is a little bit of a, just a a world lore drop, right? Like, this is interesting about the Kaledish. And that makes the world feel lived in, right? Yep, it does. Uh, Patrick is very good at that. He yeah. doesn't, I think I made a note later on, but this is as good a point as any to bring it up. He doesn't give you any context around these things. He just drops stuff into the story. Yeah. Uh, make North to make it into the shawled or uh, I don't know, Keldish men don't give away money. Uh, yeah. And he just like drops it into the story. And on one yeah. hand, you're like, who did I miss something here? Where's the wiki? I got to look this up. Yeah. And on the other hand, you're like, oh yeah that of course and it helps you feel like you're kind of in the world with them yeah uh, it's a lot of fun but. yeah i mean it, it gives us a whole we're about to meet more a few more kalish people uh in this series in the upcoming chapter and uh you know you wonder like did the did he he's just dropping little things to make those characters maybe feel more fleshed out mm-hmm. with these other two characters that don't really matter that much right right they show him some kindness they matter maybe to him in his little story, but they, they make the world feel lived in and they give us more context for these other characters coming up. Right. Bow show. Bow show. You got anything else for parting of ways, man? Um, nope. Well, shall we move on to less talents? Let's do it. Quoth makes his way toward the university, keeping his eyes open for the very reason he has come here, the place that may hold the answers about the Chandrian and the Amir, might prove Scarpy's story true, the archives. Ben had described them, so he knew what to look for, and as he came to the top of the old stone bridge connecting Imra to the university, he spies the great gray buildings with the stone doors for the first time. The university itself is made up of 15 or so buildings with different architectural styles with very little tying them together and it is found at the center of an organized, well-maintained town of pruned lawns and diverse businesses meant to meet the needs of the university students. Both made his way immediately to the archives to fulfill his hunger. He was finally here. He was not going to wait any longer. Except he was. The student at the welcoming desk insisted that he must be a student already and in the book at the desk in order to be allowed in at all. The helpful desk order also informed him that if Quoth wanted to take part in admissions, you better move it, because they don't always last all day. Two hours later, Quoth faced the nine masters of the university, looking down on him from an elevated crescent pattern as he takes his admissions exam. The man in charge confirms that Quoth is here to continue his education toward being an arcanist, not to begin it, and to ask for a letter, a letter of recommendation affirming his strengths and weaknesses. There's just one problem. Quoth doesn't have any such letter. 
He tells them about Abanthea, about pawning the book that might provide evidence of his story being taken under the Arcanist's wing. Some are skeptical, but in the end, a master Loren agrees to go pick up the book in Tarbine as part of his errands, and will use that to corroborate Quoth's story. Uh, oh, the story that he was well-versed in basically everything the university cares about. One roadblock down, perhaps. Next roadblock is his age. After admitting that he's 15 years old, there's a lot of hesitancy amongst the masters at adding a boy so young. Both continues that Abanthe would have urged you to ignore it. Satisfied for now, the master started on some questions. But Quoth has a trick up his sleeve. He had snuck into the hall and hidden himself away to get a preview of the questions that had been asked of other students. Both knew that in order to stay at the university, he would need a tuition of basically nothing. He had to impress them with his knowledge and speed of response. He had to blow them away. And he does. Math, medicine, history, chemistry, artificing, sympathy, and even naming. He tripped up a couple, tripped up a couple times on questions that seemed markedly harder than what other students had been asked. But overall, he was impressive. Was it enough? Well, first, the chancellor and master linguist had a few other questions. The first, which really tripped people up, he asked why Abanthe hadn't sent a letter. And Quoth had to admit that he had not seen him in three years. And when the masters do some reverse math to determine that that meant he came by all this knowledge and retained it from when he was 12, well, some of them were unconvinced. Then the chancellor asked, why do you wish to attend the university? He couldn't think of an answer so he, that he could give, but he uh, went with, I don't know, sir. I guess I'll have to learn that too. Lastly, Quoth was asked if there was anything he would like to say before they deliberated, something that none of the students that Quoth had spied on had taken advantage of. But certainly, we know Quoth, our precocious boy, would take advantage of that opportunity. At this moment, I have two jots in my purse and nowhere in the world to get more than that. I have nothing worth selling that I haven't already sold. He then asked to be admitted for free and in fact given three talents to buy the things he needs and focus on being a student, promising to be a student the likes of which you have never seen before. They debate for some time, some long minutes. Both had to just endure without hearing what they were saying. Then they motion him forward, and the chancellor announces that he's being admitted for less three talents. Both snapped the master that came down to help him get settled, asking some pointed questions about wondering about his father, Arlidan. He says, Did you say your father's name was Arlidan? Arlidan the Bard? Yes. I was wondering which troop he performed in. And Quoth loses it on him. He unloads on this master. His <laughs> patience is done, insisting that he himself must remain in ignorance due to his three-talent tuition that he can't afford. So, so too should the master have to remain in ignorance about his father. Lauren just gives him a faint smile and hands him the paper that indicates that Quoth was owed three talents by the bursar for this term. <laughs> Both collapsed on the floor and went. Aw. Aw. He's Aww. in. He's in and he's getting paid to go to school. It's the scholarship. Yeah, he got a scholarship. Yep. And how, how he uses this money will be very interesting. Yep. The first thing I have to say, Matt, is one of the questions that gets asked. I skipped over all the detailed detail of the questions. Mm. Otherwise, it would have mm -hmm. been very, very long. Probably for the best. I mean, I would just have to like rewrite the chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the questions, the answer to it is Nalt. 
Do you remember when he gets beat up by the boys in the alley and they keep calling each other Nalt? Nalt. They're like, Nalt? what the hell is that? Nalt mm-hmm. was an emperor, lord of the Acheron Empire. Look at and that. Sounds like he wasn't great. So No. No. He was the emperor when it fell, right? Uh, I think so. Well, Nalto. Yes, Emperor Nalto. Yeah. He was an inept eagle maniac. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, one of those questions that they ask him is, why did the Atron Empire fall? He's like, there's a million answers to that question. He he goes off. Where should we start? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, he he equips it. He... he answers the question pretty well, I think. Yeah, but... Neil deGrasse quote. Um, yeah. Actually. Well, actually, there are lots of reasons. Uh, it is pretty remarkable, and it owes to what he learned under Abenthe in terms of being able to put things, in this case knowledge, into little compartments in his brain that this is knowledge he hasn't had to call upon basically in these three years. Yeah. And in this moment, he's able to just spit it out. It's yeah. he's able to unlock that knowledge yeah. and just boop, here it is. That's remarkable. Yeah. Sounds like for he had someone two... who's only been thinking about survival for the past yes. three years. It sounds like he had like a two hour crash course yeah. where he was listening to other students that might've like, made his brain kind of go haywire, but I turned his brain on a bit. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I might think that would hurt though. Like just, you'd be swimming with all the memories coming back. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I mean, it, we talked before about, uh, Aventy talked before about, you know, when he was talking to his parents to, to close parents, about mm-hmm. how he never had to learn things twice that he picked things up very quickly. You know, I, I think we kind of came to the conclusion. He basically has a photographic memory. Yeah. He doesn't, he just remembers everything. It's, mm-hmm. He's just got an affinity for it. And, uh, but yeah, three years, never using it. I mean, you wonder if he's one of those guys that's just like his brain is always moving with that stuff, but it doesn't seem like it. The way he describes his time in Tarbine is like, that was shut off. Right. Absolutely. So he wasn't really thinking about it and, you know, reliving all this stuff and reminding himself. It sounds like it was shut off and just turned back on like a faucet. It's weird. Almost like he needed time to recharge or something where his brain just needed yeah. to be off and he just needed to go through the motions for a while, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and is that what he's doing currently in his in the Waystone Inn? Is mm. he just recharging? Um, yeah, that's a good point. This is a brain moving that quickly all the time. It's got to stop have... for a second. We haven't had a scene in the end in a while. I, at least two episodes. Yeah, I don't think there was one in the last episode either. Yeah. There isn't one here. My brain works exactly the opposite of quoth. <laughs> <laughs> I can like so. immerse myself in something yeah. and be really good at it for a very short amount of time. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I can retain a lot of knowledge for like studying for one of these episodes. I can read yes. up on stuff and get ready mm-hmm. and I'm good for like three or four days. Yeah. And then we push stop on the episode. I go to bed and, and it's gone. by morning. Yeah. Like I never yeah. learned it. I, I Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm that way with everything, but certainly like people will bring up things I say on the podcast. I'm like, like what? No, I, no idea. Yeah. No, I, no idea. I said that don't even remember, like even a week later, I think I've told you this a week later when I'm writing a little summary for our release, and you're like, what can't are even talk re- about? I've, yeah, I got to go back to the notes and be like, <laughs> what was in this episode? I don't even remember. 
it's gone. So I'm similar to that too. way. I thought of that too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, one one of the uh one of the Kaledish uh that show up in this chapter is the front desk worker. Yeah. Turns out to be Will. We'll get him a little bit more in the next couple chapters. Mm-hmm. He's adorable. He's one of my favorite characters in this series. He's a sweetheart. He's uh, just like, I can't let you in, dude. I'm gonna get into big trouble if I do. Is maple a word for tree? <laughs> he says. I love it. Ish. Kinda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have too much more on this chapter. It was just grueling a college entrance exam uh, yeah. from hell. I have a few um, things. Um, it well, yeah, definitely an entrance exam from hell. But a lot of forethought from him to realize, like, I need a leg up on this, or I'm not going to be able to stay. Like, I'm. I wouldn't think of that. I would just be like, all right, give it my best shot. Right. But he's, go. you know, I think maybe being in Tarbine and always having to survive and get a leg up as best he can probably made him think that way. And Good point. while Tarbine was terrible for him, it's probably education that's going to serve him throughout his life to just think about situations differently. Yeah. Like, who cares about the rules? Like, you got, you know, like, you have to make this happen. You know, there are no rules in Tarbine. Mm hmm. You know? Mm hmm. Make it happen. Um, That's probably his motto. Yeah. yeah. Make it happen. happen. Mariah Carey song. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else I got? I got a few other things. Uh, what do you think of Master Lauren? They say he's hard to read. Yeah. So he is. He's hard to read. He just kind of blinks at him and gives him the paper after he's been insulted. Just um, like his practicality is very refreshing and you can tell that there's some care there in that he's another guy that just makes it happen. I think Um, we'll see more of that in the next chapter, but where he's just like, Hey, I'm going to Tarbine like next week. Mm -hmm. I'll stop by the bookstore and grab the book that he talks about. Yeah. That's no problem. Like that's just refreshing. Just a guy who's like no BS. I'll get it. Whatever. Is that what you guys need? Sure. Yeah. No problem. And then we get more of that in the next chapter. You had to have a tuition. Everyone does. Like just yeah. No emotion, just straight facts. Just mm-hmm. like, you know, almost like almost like he is a book. Like the information is just printed there. You know, like true. we we learn that he's, yeah. you know, he's the book guy, right? The information's and, just printed in him and he's not going to give any emotion about it. It's just that's what the book says. And in contrast, Quoth, who's very much uh, driven by emotion. Yes. Um, this is, it, it's a fun exchange between the two that we get in these couple of chapters. And yeah. You want to see more. You like it I, when they're uh, apart from you or facing each other. Yes. I really like the different masters and their different personalities. Um, we get, we, we don't get a lot of it yet, but Kilvin clearly is. Kilvin asks an impossible question. He asks a question that nobody else, none of the other students that both saw it got asked. And even the, even the masters are like, yeah. oh, come on, dude. dude That's you're going to ask on. him that. You're going to ask fair. him that. <laughs> and, but, but it makes you think that he had already decided. There have only been like two other masters asking questions before Kilvin goes. But you, you get the sense that Kilvin's already decided he's in. 
Yeah. I'm going to ask him a question just because I'm curious how he'll respond. I don't actually need to know that he knows this stuff because I can tell he's good enough to get to get in. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of times you want to see how someone thinks or yes, you know, or how they'll respond to an impossible situation. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, that's on that Star Trek movie. That's on the newer Star Trek. I just thought of that. The newer Star Trek series with um Chris Pine, not James Marsden, Chris Pine as Captain James Kirk. Marsden. Was James Marsden ever in Star Trek? No, but you always get the two actors mixed up. They, oh, I think you, it's, a, oh, okay. it's a joke. You get James Marsden and Chris Pine mixed up. Um, and we were talking about James Marsden. Chris yeah. Pine yeah, as James Captain Marston. Kirk. Mm-hmm. And they do, oh, I can't remember the reshe. No, there's some sort of um, drill that they put them through at the academy. And they oh, know uh, that they'll fail. Kobayashi Maru? Yeah, that. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh they always fail and they do it just to, spock explains we do it to see how they'll react they in an live. impossible yeah. situation right right and captain kirk just cheats basically yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to win because he's yeah. going to win yeah and, yeah same idea yeah. yeah and um how he how he comes up the way he fails is he does come up with a few ideas like oh well, this you do this oh no maybe not uh this he does come up quickly with a few options and works through them in his brain and, and puts them, puts them out right immediately. So it, it, it does show kind of his quickness of thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to Lauren really quick. It's interesting that master Lauren seemingly knows Quoth's dad. Yeah. That's interesting. Seems odd. We don't, I mean, we don't get a lot of enough, a lot or enough time with Arladen and, uh, um, so we we don't maybe know everywhere he's been and who he's seen, but he doesn't ever mention the university. So Lauren is out in the world meeting him, or I've got we've got more on Lauren for Debbie After Dark, but good. Well, just the the differences in personality that you highlighted, left brain, right brain type guys, and mm-hmm. on the oh, surface, yeah. you won't get two more different guys than Arladen and Lauren, yeah. right? right. And uh, so it's interesting of to think how would you how would your roads even meet? You know. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. What's going on there, buddy? Were you like were you like a were you like a groupie for the ru the ru uh-huh. back in the, the day, ru. Lauren? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'll yeah we'll 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 spit some some more theories about Lauren and, and Debbie after dark. Um, I have I totally unfounded ideas, but um, those are our yeah. favorite kind here at Davos Fingers. That's, that's what we do. That's what we do. Um, anything else? Uh, there was there is this little moment uh, after he um, answers a question where he says, "I had the impression that something had unsettled him," referring to the Chancellor, but he was too composed for me to tell exactly what. Do you remember this? Yeah, I don't remember the context of it. Yeah, it's after um it's after uh it's after the uh master namer asks him a question. Mm. Um he asks he said, how many fingers I'm pointing up? He's like how many fingers am I holding up? He's like, well, at least one. Uh probably no more than six. Mm-hmm. And then he asks him, Do you know the seven words that will make a woman love you? No, they exist. They exist. 
so so after that, after he says they exist, master linguist, you know, it's back to the chancellor. The chancellor says, that seems to cover most of academia. The chancellor said almost to himself. I had the impression that something had unsettled him, but he was too composed for me to tell exactly what. You'll forgive me if I ask a few things of a less scholarly nature. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's not much like usually when something's un- unsettled somebody and you notice it, it's something that just happened very recently, right? But nothing really happens. I mean, he's asked the question he was directly asked was, Do you know the seven words that will make a woman love you? Yeah, actually, it only just now hit me. Maybe, maybe the answer is that folks' response indicated that he doesn't know women at all. Because then he does go, he does go into the age thing and finds out yeah. that he was, was like, he's just young. Maybe that was what it was that, that made him unsettled. I also thought maybe it was just because Elodin, Elodin asked a question. He doesn't usually ask anything. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the age thing is unsettling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does take like on one hand, it's like, give the kid a break. He's so young, but it's like, no, because if we give him a break, then we're going to have to start letting 15 year olds into the university right and left. So yep. we need to really grill this kid and make sure he's special. And maybe the chancellor was starting to see that. Yeah. He actually is kind of special. Yeah. And I'm about to let a 15 year old kid into my university <laughs> and pay him for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's it. I think you said you didn't have too much more on this one. Nope. Um, let's go ahead then. <clears throat> yes, let's. Bright-eyed. Okay. Bright eyed. Bright eyes. Good band. Bright eyed, though, is the name of this chapter. You had to have a tuition. Actually, let, let's say it like Lauren would. You had to have a tuition. Everyone does. Lauren explained as to the reason why he and the other professors had deliberated for so long before presenting their decision to Quoth. There was no precedent, it turns out, for the university handing out what was essentially a scholarship, as we talked about. Quoth then gave Lauren the receipt for Abanthe's book, which we'll remember Lauren had agreed to fetch for him, and which Lauren agreed to sell back to Quoth one day. And then Lauren passed Quoth off to a passing student named Simon for an unofficial orientation. Simon was pleasant enough, offering tidbits of comfort and advice, like everyone pisses themselves at admission. Lauren (laughs) is that chilly with everyone, and don't mistreat his books or he'll kill you. He helped him get a bunk at the Muse and a meal chit, which was good for three meals a day in the mess, for just a talent for the entire term. Money well spent, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. Speaking of meals, it was lunchtime. Getting their food in the mess, Simon led Quoth to a table and introduced him to two fellow students slash friends, Manet and Willem. The latter, Willem, was the same boy running the front desk at the archives and was surprised that Quoth was an actual enrolled student now. Uh, Manet was at least 50 years old, disheveled with wild hair and a grizzled beard. His claim to fame is that he'd been in the Arcanum longer than any of them had been alive. Uh, The atmosphere was light amongst the friends, and the reader can tell Quoth was enjoying himself being in their presence. 
but they were soon joined by Savoy complaining of his high tuition this term. Apparently, the children from which families are generally charged the highest tuition, and Savoy is indeed from a rich family. Stuffy and entitled, he acts the part, but Scaddy's also just discouraged. The high tuition was making him have to give up some niceties. I mean, he had to move to on-campus housing and nearly had to share a room. Ugh, he hates it. He hates everything about this place, he declares as he storms off. After Kvothe observes that the tan lines on Savoy's fingers indicate he had an he had until recently worn rings and probably had to sell them to cover his tuition, his new friends are turned on to his cleverness and begin to bet on when he'll be admitted to the Arcanum. They ask him what he intends to study, and when they scoff at his immediate answer of the Chantrian, he amends it to well, I want to see if different cultures' folk tales conform to Tecum's theory of narrative septagy. That seems to satisfy their curiosity, and Quoth digs into the bread Savoy had left behind. Later, Quoth decides to give the archives another shot. Now that he'd been admitted into the university, there shouldn't be a problem, right? Wrong. Apparently, the system hadn't updated yet, and the student working the front desk condescendingly and rudely dismisses Quoth, even as he lets his friends into the archives without even consulting the book that has all the names of the people that can get in. Quoth argues a bit, but eventually leaves, recognizing that the university isn't all that different from the streets of Tarbine. You know, he reassures himself, anger can keep you warm at night, and wounded pride can spur a man to wondrous things. So ends the chapter. Yeah. It's, you know, I didn't, I didn't have much for this chapter. Um, that I thought was super important, but listening to your summary, it just kind of stood out to me that this is a, this is a chapter that does a really subtle, but good job of pointing out the, the, the social, the social hierarchy and construct of this university. Mm-hmm. There's still like, like you said at the very end, there's still mean people and nice people you know, there's still people that are going to run you down, like on the streets of Tarbine. But we've got rich people; they pay a lot for tuition. We got students that are old. We got students that are young. It kind of seems to run the gamut. But there's very much a social hierarchy to the whole thing. Um, you know, Savoy is complaining that he's got to, you know, rent a rent a room on campus. Um, he had to dismiss his servant. Yeah. And then there are people like both who have, you know, not a shim to their name. Right. So it's um, it does a good job of kind of presenting that that the social construct of the that you find at the university. So, yeah, right. Yeah, this is another this is, I think, the chapter where it hit me of how relatable, you know, Patrick Rothfuss makes these books by giving mm-hmm. us these glimpses. Anyone that's attended college for any amount of time can probably relate to at least a couple of the things going on in this chapter, mm-hmm. right? Whether it was Simon introducing him around and talking about, mm-hmm. you know, getting, getting your meal ticket. I, I had that my freshman year. I lived mm-hmm. on on-campus housing and yeah. I had my meal card that I got yeah. to flash down at the cafeteria every day for my first semester freshman year. Mm-hmm. And I get a warm meal for someone who had to wonder where he was going to get his next meal every day, just yeah. a week ago, just last week. Yes. If you think about Quoth was 
yes. he didn't know when his next meal was going to be. Now all of a sudden he's got three a day guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. That's worth way more than a talent almost. And, and Savoy's leavings too. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to eat that bread. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> As Savoy leaves it and says it's terrible. And he's like, he eats it. It was delicious. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'll take this. Which again, kind of goes to show the differences of, of the people there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. So very relatable chapter. And I enjoyed reading it for that reason. I remember yeah. going and figuring out my room and going and getting yeah. my meal stuff and meeting new people and kind of feeling them out and getting an idea for who's going to be my friend. Who can I hang out with? Who do I need to stay away from? You know? Uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun to read for me. Yeah. And we get a little bit of information about Simon as well. He's apparently also um, quote unquote noble, but even that isn't, it's not, it's not a binary thing. It's not noble or not noble. It's like, well, Savoy's way up here and Simmons down here. It's yeah. It's a whole, the whole spectrum. Savoy says my father's stables have a longer bloodline uh, than, than, than uh, Simmons and Simmons nobility. Okay, Dick. Um, Yeah. Fine. Dick. Like, (laughs) don't eat, don't eat. You can't sit with us. (laughs) You can't sit with us. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I agree with the, the meal chit is a good deal. Uh, feels like a no brainer for someone like both. Oh yeah. And, and the, and the room too. It's like, well, just, yeah, just pay the one thing and you've got it covered and then you don't have to worry about it. It's like an all inclusive. Yeah. Yep. Also seems like deal. a sweet deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a great deal. Three meals a day. Goodness gracious. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, and so they, so Mene is one of my favorite characters, uh, because he, he doesn't he just kind of doesn't seem to buy into any of the crap that everyone else buys into here he's he's kind of like a career student which we can relate to that too right mm-hmm. like there are people at every university that are that like they just kind of stay there forever they continue to learn and they get grants and they keep studying and they do you know they, they're just lifelong academics almost and, and it feels like kind of that's that's ben a's path um I, I like him a lot, but yeah. he asks, he asks what he's going to study and, you know, yeah, quote, doesn't think about it just as Chandrian. Um, but then he, he goes into Tecum's narrative septagy and Tecum is a philosopher uh, and writer in this world. Um, kind of, I read up on him on the wiki a little bit. He, he seems kind of like a, a merging of Plato and Aristotle a little bit. Um but septagy, Matt, isn't really like a word. If you Google septagy, all you get is Kingkiller Chronicle results, <laughs> which which is weird. Rough and this so, out, just making up words. Yeah, well, so it whenever something like that happens, you're like, okay, well, does that matter? What is that? Um, we know from being Song of Ice and Fire uh, hoodlums that yeah. sept can mean seven, right? The sept, the seven, you know, the faith of the seven, and they have a sept where they worship. Sept can mean seven. Ag as a suffix usually seems to denote like something being eaten or consumed. Hmm. Um, I don't know if it means anything, but there are seven Chandrian, right? And yeah. so, like the narrative septagy, if he's telling stories about maybe the Chandrian being eaten. There's also septic means sewage. 
right. of eating eating sewage, maybe. I don't know. It's interesting. I hope we get more about narrative septagy. Uh, the seven is what spe- was was it? Yeah, the, was what stuck out to me. Sept seven, uh-huh. and maybe if Tekum had theorized that things happen in sevens mm-hmm. in narrate in narratives or something like that, and right. if this was part of that. But the ag part makes it interesting because it's almost sure. like a like an eating away uh, of of those seven, um, mm. and it gotcha. made me wonder about. I don't know, like, or maybe, maybe, you know, like there's, you know, the hero's journey or whatever, right? Um, that's like commonly taught in universities. Maybe it, this is like that version, right? That there's, you know, there's seven stories, but they all devolve into one or they all relate to each other or, you know, I don't know. It's right. Interesting. I hope we get more on it. I'm interested. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Good point. Uh, okay ambrose suffice to say he's one of this chapters uh or one of this episode's new enemies that i'm referring to this guy is a dick it's it's such an interesting literary thing that um he just suddenly calls him ambrose at some point oh really there's no like meeting of ambrose he doesn't say i'm ambrose or no it's just, just it's just both slipping and saying the guy's name is almost oh, how it funny. comes across as he's telling the story. Yeah, it's just he flipped through the ledger, found a particular page and uh, frowned. You're not in the book. He glanced up briefly. Da 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 da. Feel free to piss off. And Quoth says, I've just and then Ambrose put his pen down again. Listen, he said slowly. And that's the first mention of Ambrose's name. <laughs> it just is. There's his name right there. That's funny. The one of the one of the students does call him that at the top of two forty, but it might be well, it might I'm be wrong. after. Well, it might be after what you're saying. I don't. I'm. I'm not finding the passage you're talking about. But the the two friends come out and they're like, and one of them says, "God's it's body." Before Ambrose, that, yeah. What's got you started? Yeah, um, I'm in my uh, e-reader. Yes, right. But it's shortly after the mid chapter. Yeah. Three dot thing. I don't know what do you call that? Change of yeah, yeah. Scene. Interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a if that's true, that's a slip up for sure. Yeah. But it's almost like Roth was meant to do it and just had quoth like it's like oh Ambrose. Yeah, oh yeah, that guy's name was Ambrose. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like just, a like a bad yeah. storyteller. Yeah. yeah like, it's kind of an it's kind of a nice out for Patrick, isn't it? It's like, oh well, it's just quoth telling the story. So right. But that stuck out to me. I was like, wait, did they already say his name? Ambrose? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's what uh, my daughter would call a Chad. It's Ambrose? in line with that with that new thing of, you know, like, they call certain ladies Karens. Uh-huh. They've got names for all sorts of personality types, types of people and personalities. I thought and- a Chad was like a, like a a good guy like a leader like a like a boss like a no not, chad's a bad not, chad's where, a bad not guy. where leia is yeah okay. chad's kind of like your classic popular jock kind of guy rules don't okay. apply to me i'm better okay. than everybody type guy and, okay yeah. yeah i i can see that like i think of a chad as like an alpha which i hate that term sure. to begin with because yeah like that. <laughs> i asked her what a mat was and she said you don't want to know 
that's funny. And so I didn't question more. I was like, I, I, I really okay. can't take the the blow yes. uh, right now. I, I don't want to hear it from my <laughs> child right now. I'm already approaching midlife crisis phase. And <laughs> you being in middle school doesn't help that. So I just, uh, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. I don't make the rules and neither does she apparently. So she better not. If that's a bad do. thing. None of us get to make the rules. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, buddy. Yeah, I don't have much else in here. Yep. Okay. Yep. Shall Sympathy we go to mains. our final chapter, right? Sympathy in the mains. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Close first class, first college class. Do you remember what your first college class was? I'm trying to remember what my oh, first geez. one was. The first one was I went it? to? I think it was. No, it wasn't physics. I don't remember what my first call. I think it might've been science. I definitely I don't, remember. don't remember. No, yeah. I have no, no clue. Hmm. Close first class is principles of sympathy mm-hmm. held in the maze. That was Maine's the oldest building at the university. The crotchety condescending instructor, master hem sets the tone early with a haughty. If you're looking for the magic you've heard about in legends, you're in the wrong place speech and by berating and humiliating tardy students. Once the actual instruction begins, Quoth finds it to be a colossal waste of time as it focuses on the most basic of principles that he'd already internalized and mastered long ago under Abenthe. Uh, If he wasn't going to learn anything in class, he decides, he might as well teach himself. Translation, off for another shot at entering the archives. Uh, The beautiful front desk attendant, Fela, not Ambrose, finds his name on the list immediately, bout frickin' time, and even takes the time to orient him to the tomes section of the archive and how he can request, this is cool, how he can request any type of book on any subject and a scriv or like a, a library employee of some sort would find and bring that book to him. Um. It's like DoorDash, but for books. Quoth gives it a shot, requesting a book on the history of the Chandrian and reports of their existence. He's disappointed by the book that is delivered to him, however, a collection of what amounts to fairy tales that include the Chandrian as classic villains. Undaunted, Quoth tries again, this time requesting a book on the origins and practices of the Order Amir. As he waits for this book to be delivered to him, He is surprised to be fetched by Master Lauren, who quietly takes him to a private area and, referring to the request log that Quoth had just filled out, asks him why he was requesting books on the Chandrian and the Amir. Uh, Tempted to spill his whole story to Lauren, but not tempted enough, Quoth falsely confesses that it's purely out of curiosity. Lauren seems to have expected this response and proceeds to give him a, this is how we do things around here. Talk. Quoth is already younger than any other student here. Lauren dispassionately chides, and he will be judge based on that alone. I'm not accusing you of engaging in boyish fantasy. Lauren says, I'm advising you to avoid the appearance of boyish fancy. In short, don't make this harder on yourself than it's already going to be. Uh, The fact is not lost on Kvothe that he is standing in one of the cornerstones of civilization, as he calls it, 
talking to the master archivist of the university. And with that, his response is a meek, I understand. Thank you, sir. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. Um, like the last chapter gave us some insight into the university's social structure and uh, hierarchy. Uh, this reminds us that universities are stuffy and elitist. Yeah. Right. And, and about appearances and about perceptions. Um, you know, we, we start with, we start with mains, which is, um, you know, it seems just kind of like a whimsical fun story about this haunted weird building, but <laughs> it's also a symbol a little bit. They could fix it. They could fix it. They could knock the walls down and like make it go straight and like put hallways in and do and make it not terrible for new termers. They want people to be confused and have to adapt and to lord it over people and laugh at them when they struggle. Right. The professors enjoy it. Just like Ambrose just did in the library. They want to knock people down a few pegs and and gloat about how they get it and none and the, the newbies don't. Right. It's it's this elitist thing. And the library is the same way. Lauren is like, okay, you, you, people are going to judge you for this. And he already got us a, a taste of it for Menet, right? Right. You're going to get judged yeah. if you if you look at this kind of stuff. And it's funny because Lauren does say, I don't care. I, I respect the curiosity. Go, you know. But then he crosses the book out and doesn't actually give it to him. <laughs> so it feeds into some of my Lauren stuff. We'll get back to it. But um yeah it's it's it, this this chapter is very interesting about what it tells us about the elitism and the appearances of of this university right it's, it's stuffy and you know they're academics they suck in a way where even lauren plays that game like mm -hmm. he's the master archivist and instead of being like we should change this and you should yeah. be free to do whatever you want to do he's like well this is how it is you're not yeah. getting this book yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Which is like, you know, he gives him like the very basics of the Amir. I mean, I think we yeah, know the that Wikipedia. Much. We know that much from what we've read so far. Yeah. Like he doesn't give him a lot and, and then crosses it out and doesn't let him learn more. Mm -hmm. It's like, I mean, you could just go get it for me, Lauren, and then there nobody has to see anything about appearances. Yep. Just go get it for me. Unless he's trying to dissuade Quoth from learning about particular topics. We'll we'll get there. Uh yeah, yeah. I love that you call it like the DoorDash for books, except like it's the DoorDash that gets the order wrong. Like the food is cold and it's like not what yeah. you expected. And... <laughs> yeah. 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 He, it's interesting. He, he says that it's, uh, you know, more books than he's ever seen in his life or, or whatever, but still it's like disappointing because he can't just get access to whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. It's uh, even when he's in, he's not in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, you've seen more books than you ever have in your whole life. How cool is this? Good luck. Like, yeah. Finding what you want to find. Yeah. Right. Mm. Uh our second villain, uh Hem. Hem Hem. Hem. I, I say Hem in my head, but it could be yeah. Hema. Hemi. Hem. 
M.A. Got him. Uh, this guy's a dick, too. <laughs> he sucks. Yeah. I mean, what he says to the girl is downright obnoxious um, about closing the gates of hell. Yeah. Cross um, your legs. Would you please cross your legs? She does. Now that the gates of hell are closed, we can begin. Just awful. Uh, and we don't get it yet, but next chapter, we're going to see. We're going to see just how many people have been annoying this guy can be. Uh, and just how little restraint Quoth can ever show, uh, including what he does in this chapter. Like, no sense of decorum or tact or respect. It's the first day. It's the first class. He's like, dude, I'm too good for this. Yeah. Give it a week, man. Give it a couple days at least. Like, get through a few things and then be like, I thought maybe the introduction would be, you know, a, a baseline and then we move into some more complicated things and, yeah. and then maybe go into like how the, you, you know this stuff but the first day right come on man you've you know took you a long time to get here you can give it a day right and it's so funny because he even you know 10 years later or whatever he's he's patting himself on the back for the way he handled that yes. or maybe he's being yes, sarcastic true. but he no. says so the, the thing that he says to Master Henley is the principles you mentioned today will lay a good foundation for the other students in the class. Mm-hmm. And then, end quote, and then he's, as if he's saying it in 10 years later, diplomacy is a large part of being a trooper. <laughs> That's pretty freaking good, huh? I handled that well as a 15-year-old kid. <laughs> I was smooth. Uh, <sighs> no, no you, I mean know your audience buddy yeah uh he's also pretty sure that phala was into him the way he talks about it yeah and he's just kind of she was so close to me whispering in my ear and he's just kind of aloof to it mostly because of the books right well i'm also wondering if that's close just being like yeah right i was too i was too good for that oh the girls liked me yeah we definitely get a sense sense of that mm-hmm. um, in retrospect, but he he kind of paints himself as not not smooth in the moment himself, but that they liked him anyway. Right? Which is, I don't know. Do you think with this whole Chandrian thing with with Lauren, if um, if he had told the story, if Lauren might have treated it respectfully? If he had just laid it out and been like, look, this is why. Because Lauren, Lauren actually, like, he does, he respects knowledge. He respects right. new information. If this is information he hasn't heard before or it's unique information, not information a lot of people have, I wonder if it might it might ring for him. Remember, Abinthi used to talk about um, the people that had stories about shamble men in the woods or whatever. And, you know, if if 10 people tell you that story you don't believe it because it's still shambleman, but do you go into the woods? Like, no, you still don't go in because maybe there's bandits or bears or something in there. Like master Lauren, if he hears these kinds of things and has heard them before, he's, he might recognize it as real, right? It's uh, I just wrote this. I don't know if it means that if it sounds stupid, but 
dumb people believe conspiracies because they're dumb. Smart people dismiss them because they're smart. But knowledgeable people know them to be true because they have more information, Mm. right? Like, it might be that Lauren is just the kind of person that, like, if he brought this up with, he might get something out of it. No? I, I agree with you. I'm trying to articulate in my head why I agree with you. Um, Lauren, uh, he's very practical. And in, like you said, that knowledgeable portion of him allows him to step back and see a bigger picture. Oh, you know, like we need this book to prove that Quoth is who he had was learned what he said he learned under okay. this person. Well, I can get that. Yeah. Um, he's able to step back and, and be practical and think practically. And uh, not only would Quoth telling him the whole story, maybe strike an emotional chord if he knows Arladin. Yeah. Is Arladin's dead? Yeah. Yeah, he is. And here's how he died. Um, but I don't know for me, I imagine Lauren who we've known all of two or three chapters now would, think okay what does this kid have to gain by lying to me about this you know he's come all this way just to get to the university why else would he do that mm-hmm. like he'd be able to think through those questions of yeah why would this be bullcrap is this kid crazy well i don't think he's crazy because look at the answers he gave us in the admissions test you know yeah. he'd be able to like i feel like he'd be able to take those pieces and conclude that yeah, I think he's probably telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of how Lauren would react, Quoth isn't about to trust anybody right now. Yeah. And so that's what keeps him from saying something. But I, I tend to think, to answer your question, that Lauren would be able to take that seriously and maybe be an asset for Quoth. I, I almost wonder if Lauren was testing him because he, we, Lauren is the one that asked him the whole history of the Aturan empire question, right? Why did the Aturan mm-hmm. empire fall? And he gave a good answer, a very complicated answer, which included information about the Amer falling and failing. Right. Um, yep, it did. You're right. And, and, and so when he, when he sees this request for information, he's like, why is he asking? His first answer is he's curious. Okay. Let me give him the Wikipedia entry. And let's see what he says about that, right? If I give him the Wikipedia entry and he gives me more information back, that's proof that I do need to step back and treat this a little differently. But if he just doesn't know anything, I can just give him the Wikipedia entry and that's enough. But if he shows me he deserves more, it's a test. If he shows me he deserves more because he's got something to give to this conversation, well, then maybe maybe I can give him some more or maybe I can shut it down depending on... Right. What we yeah. think of this guy, right? But it almost felt like a test. You know, he, he I think Lauren should know that Quoth knows all this stuff. He just spouted a whole history of the fall of of, of the Adern Empire at you. He knows mm-hmm. he knows this stuff. He knows the Wikipedia entry. Mm-hmm. Felt like a test. Felt like a test, which is probably super refreshing for someone like Master Lauren. Um, you know, at university, you've got kids oh, that are yeah. just trying to get by. They just want to yeah. make the grades, get that piece of paper saying they graduated. You got guys like Manet who love to learn, but aren't necessarily 
they're not going to push. They're not going to push the knowledge. Yeah, they're not yeah. pushing the knowledge. They're just accepting it. So you when you see a guy me? that's driven yeah. to right. something, that's willing to challenge themselves in pursuit of some sort of goal, that's got to be super refreshing for a professor. So. And when Quoth doesn't rise to the challenge, right? He just crosses it out and moves on. Okay. That's over, but there, there's anything special here. Nothing all right. to see. Yep. You've it's already like, said all you need to say, buddy. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. It, it's a it's a it's a more interesting exchange, maybe, than it looks. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yep. You have any more on this uh this chapter? No. I do not. That makes it Debbie after dark time. It does. So, Kalisar, that concludes the non-spoiler portion of the podcast. Mm-hmm. If you're new to us, we will now be embarking into a sea of spoilers where we will discuss all things that have happened in all chapters of this unfinished series. Um both released books. So if you'd like to avoid those things, smash that stop button right now. Just stop it. Go away. Go away. We'll see you next episode. Yeah. We love you. Thanks for listening. Uh, But for now, Scad, let's proceed with our little musical jingle into Devi After Dark. Devi After Dark. You want to talk about Lauren? You want to just get right into him? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything like super firm, and I, right. you know, he's kind of he's one of those guys that he does seem kind of very factual and logical, but also very, very close to the chest. He doesn't give a lot away, right, mm-hmm. about what he's thinking. Um, but I think he's, I think he's important. Um, he knows a lot. He has, we find out later that he has runners uh, that kind of run around. They're called gillers. They run around the four corners of the world, getting books, collecting knowledge, bringing them back, um, and staying on the road and, and bringing him information and stuff. He's almost like a Varus in that way. A little bit. Yeah. A Song of I, Ice and Fire, for those of you who may be listening yes. that don't <laughs> dig a Song of Ice and Fire and are just here for the King Killer Chronicle. I wonder if we have any of those. I doubt it. I wonder. Hmm. Uh, anyway, so Lauren's calling seems to be, you know, maintaining the stories of the world, right? Gaining new knowledge, maintaining that knowledge, keeping it safe in the university, in the library, in the archives. Um, you know, the Chandrian are trying to remove themselves. They're doing the, the opposite. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the Amir have made themselves into legends and want the truth seemingly to kind of stay hidden if they're still around. Both implies, you know, that, that maybe they're still, they're still functioning. Right. Um, you know, if the Chandrian operate in the shadow, perhaps the Amir think they need to operate in the shadow as well. Um, but Lauren's job is to, maintain the information but kind of keep it maybe untamed yeah contained right Mm -hmm. and i wonder if he's actually a member of the amir i actually think he might be and i don't have 
a whole lot. But that test question that you mentioned. What's that? Yes. What just happened in the last chapter, that exchange. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he knows Arladin uh, is interesting. Get into the Rue bit in a minute. But um, yeah, I feel like he's protective of this information. He crosses it out, makes sure no one can read it. Doesn't want anyone really even thinking about it, right? To keep maybe himself and his, his people protected. Talks very, gives the Wikipedia entry, right? That's just like, yeah, they, you know, they fizzled out because whatever, you know, they were just judges. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, minimizes minimizes the heroic impact and just turns them into easily to forget kind of judges um, and, and diminishes them in, in Quilts Minor or tries to. And it feels like he's, maybe he's not a member of the Amur. I kind of think he is. Uh, I feel like the Amur are still around. Um, you know, the Chandrians yeah. specifically say that they're afraid of I think so. They mentioned because of that reason. Mm-hmm. They mention the Amir, they mention the angels, and they mention the 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 singers and the Sith, right? Or I think four things that they mention that they're afraid of, right? But Aliak says, "I protect you from the Amir and the singers." Correct. And the Sith, yep. Right. Um, so I think they're still around, and it makes sense that they're kind of uh, you know a secret order. I think uh, too that uh, there are a lot of people I think out there that think Scarpy is one of the Amir as well. He talks about. He's like, well, I have people in high places that can take care of me, that can make sure I don't get in too much trouble. They're not going to kill me, right? Well, if they've got, you know, a sleeper agent, the Amir, in inside the church at a high level, then, you know, right. he could be he could be excused as well. So I think there's there are people in this world that are Amir that are kind of like the Chandrian operating in the shadow to try to negate each other, right? For sure. And, and I yeah. wonder what role maybe the the Rue play as well. Um, hmm. Anyway, that's all I have on Lauren. It's a lot of it's a lot of I thinks and not a lot of evidence. But I love that though. I I definitely think the Amir's still around. I love the idea of Lauren being one of them. It makes total sense that you know if if members of the Chandrian are kind of able to walk about the earth a little undetected um, or unnoticed by normal humans that the Amur would need to be in secret as well. So they're not noticed if they went around with some pin on their chest saying that they're a member of the order Amir, then, then the, the Chandrian, Chandrian know how to avoid them or neutralize or to them, come for them or yeah, or find them, surprise them, dispatch yeah. of them. Yeah. So they need to stay hidden as well. Uh, I love the idea of of Lauren maintaining a history, but also containing, controlling, you know, the more knowledge mm-hmm. he has, the more, and being the master archivist, he has so much ability. They don't have Wikipedia in right. this place. They have the archives. And if he can control what information gets out of those archives, he's essentially controlling what official knowledge gets out into the world it's at dispersed. large, yeah, right? In the whole world, right? Yeah. It's a tremendous amount of power. educated people come here to learn information. Right. right. Otherwise, the other any other sort of knowledge is rumor, not based yeah. on fact, legend. Yeah. There's going to be a certain amount of cynicism or skepticism attached to it. But if right. it comes from the university, that's a seal of approval. Right. And he gets to control that. And so in that vein, if he really is wanting to control it, 
probably what I just said about, hey, he, sh- he should have come forth with the information and then Lauren would have actually talked to him. It was a test. Well, maybe his life would have been forfeit if he had done that. So maybe, maybe. good instincts, right? Yeah. If Lauren really was trying to protect the information, he's like, where did you hear that? But now come to also, this room with me. Yeah. This deeper, if, darker room. <laughs> if you believe that Scarpy is also a member of the Amir, he shared that story. Right. But he doesn't share it all the time. It's not like he's telling that story every time, you know, they bring him a glass of wine. He told it one time. Right. So it, and maybe only because both asked, right. It's almost like a, I don't know, like a password. Like unless you've got enough information to ask the right questions, we're not going to talk to you. We're not going to reveal the information. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's all, it's all very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. I don't know that I'd really put together until talking with you about this episode, just how much power Lauren holds in terms of information distribution. I mean, and he's also, I don't, we don't have a lot of information about the Gillers, but he's also sending people out to bring that information back to the archives. Right. So that he can have more control, right? Yep. Absolutely. They bring him books, they bring him stuff. And if those books are outside of the world that were out in the world and consumable by anyone, that's a way of, you know, before we were talking about kind of this uh, bureaucratical control over things mm-hmm. because of his position, it's a physical control. Take those books off the shelves. Exactly. That's not a thing in America these days, is it? <laughs> uh, take those books off the shelves and give them to me. That means that people... Again, it's just going to be rumors that are spread or stories that are being told to children in a bar. Yeah. You know, but is to it get only... money to get a drink. I right? wish I had looked up. I feel like the Giller brings back something. I don't remember whether they tell tell us what it is, but do they only bring back certain types of books to take them off the shelves? I don't know. Right? Because, I mean, certainly they can't be aiming. For, well, I guess they could. I wouldn't think they'd be aiming for a dumber society where no information is out there. So sure. There might be some information they very much want to be brought back and controlled. Right. Interesting. Yeah, they don't strike me as this controlling state where they just want to... Like the Maesters? Build, yeah, yeah like the Maesters, where they just want to build a, a civilization of just machines that do what they're told and da 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 da, yeah. da. Um, You don't get that impression, but definitely want to maintain something. Seems yeah. like it. Feels like yeah. it. Yeah. Right. <sighs> okay. What else you got, pal? Uh well. Um talk about the Rue a little bit. I don't have a whole lot compelling from this this set set of chapters. Right, yeah. Uh, but um do you remember in the uh the second story that we get from Scarpy before he gets arrested, and then we get like the very first beginning of it, and it's Aleph has come down and he's trying to cre- trying to basically create this group of angels. And Salito mm-hmm. says, Nah, dude, thanks. I'm gonna go do it my own way. And he created the Amir, right? Is the is the idea. And he has some followers, right? He has some followers. He has seven, and they call them the Ruash, the Rosh, Ruach, Ruach. Mm-hmm. Yes, all know. those. Uh-huh. All the all those. All those people. 
So it says seven of them join him. Several don't. And the majority of them just go off into the world. Now it says that the, that the Ruash are um, a bit supernatural. They're, they're, they've got powers and stuff. They're, um, they're long live, long lived and, you know, they're, they're not regular humans. But I wonder if that third larger group of Ruash that didn't join either organization, the Angels or, or the Yammer, if maybe <laughs> we're about to hear it, we're about to hear what becomes of them and, and Scarpy's story gets interrupted and, uh, and he gets arrested. But I wonder if they became the Ru. Sure. And they became kind of almost like the Ammer traveling around, right? But that that that's what these people became. And mm-hmm. over time, they, um, you know, maybe they lost their powers. Uh, maybe they never had them to begin with, and it's just a story. Uh, but the root do seem kind of, you know, it is getting it from, you know, close perspective. But they seem better <laughs> than most people, like more educated, more you know, more informed one step ahead. I was telling you before we hit record, I'm feeling one step behind today. Yes. Like the Rue are kind of always kind of one step ahead of everybody. And they feel that way. Manipulative. I'm thinking of Arladen and how he, and how he was able to um, convince the mayor of the town. Remember early on in the book to let them perform there and everything. And he just played the guy like a fiddle. Yes. and and yeah, maybe they don't live as long a life. I wonder if maybe they, you know, the the early Rue started intermarrying with right. normal folk like us, right? And watering down the little gene pool to where they're still maybe they're not living two hundred years or however long they used to live. But right. you know, a a guy like Quoth pops up every ge- once in a generation who has a photographic memory still, or right. they kind of do have these inherent talents. Well, and remember who his mom is, right? His mom is Lorian. Uh, she's a lackless. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have um, special stuff in their blood, essentially, right? I mean, they're they're a noble family that goes back, 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 back. You know, some say, you know, to special spots in some of those stories in the creation story and, and others. Um, and perhaps the union of Lorian the lackless with one of the the Rue has created this special child, right? Ta-da. And we also know that uh, the Lackless kind of despise the Rue a little bit. Mm. And so there's like maybe some old blood that's actually based on you went your way and we went this way. And there's, you know, some old bitterness that's, that's stayed around again, all of this very speculative, no evidence, but my brain starts, my brain starts rolling on this stuff. And really, the only thing that started this is that R U H are in both of these words, so it's the simplest of simple, right? I don't think it should be ignored necessarily. So. Pat, if That's... you could just make some <laughs> words and terms that were easier to pronounce, it's much uh, easier to read this book than talk about it. I tell you what, <laughs> because true. of that, I'll uh, I'll tell you what though, I'll take whatever hard to pronounce words he wants to give me as long as he isn't the third book. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> do you have anything else you wanted to cover in this one? Uh, 
No, I had some stuff on Tekum, but I think we can cover it later. Mm. Um, nice stuff about Ajax, is that? Yeah. No, I think that'll keep. I think that'll keep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, let's leave it there. Well, a fun little Devi section tonight. Yeah. A couple interesting thoughts, at least. Just, to, just Yeah, just hit you with a couple. A couple things to chew on till next month right yeah for sure yeah and i'm i'm excited to dive into the next section me too after after i get my new jedi order stuff back on track get to it buddy (laughs) get to it i need to catch up i'm a little behind um but i'm going camping this weekend so hopefully i'll enjoy some of that enjoy that who am i kidding i'm not going to be able to read uh but it'll be fun regardless i hope you okay find some time (laughs) shall we sign off my friend let's sign off let's do it okay this was uh this you know false experience with that loot reminded me of one of my favorite quotes by bob marley so i'll sign off with that quick hit tonight uh matt signing off saying one good thing about music when it hits you you feel no pain Mm. uh somewhat opposed to, to the theme of of my quote which is one that you read in one of your summaries and one that hit me and i'm like i feel like that's maybe most of my motivation in the world <laughs> this is my life <laughs> anger can keep you warm at night and wounded pride can spur a man to wondrous things and i haven't done too many wondrous things but anger certainly keeps me warm at night <laughs> And with that, I say goodbye. Whatever thanks does it. For listening. Yep. Yep. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Good time, Sked. Yep. All Bye. right. Bye. Bye.